Oui, mais please have a seat. Person of God. Hi, good evening, everybody. Good evening. We are all welcome to church. Ah, can we all like kind of come to this center so that you know we can be seeing each other face to face? Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, choir. That you have to move from your seats. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So good evening, everyone. It's a privilege. Uh, to stand before your presence to share the word of God with us this evening. I want to especially appreciate uh, the father in this house, Pastor Fred Olaylegbe, for the opportunity that he has given me to share the, you know, the stage with him. I do not take this for granted. I know that he's also joining us in the spirit and online, uh, streaming this service and being with us in the spirit. So I want to say welcome once again to the presence of God. Are we glad to be in church this evening? We're all looking cold. Like, is there cold? No, no. There's no cold in the house of God. <laughs> no, you have to. I have to, guard, I have to guard my heart with all the live gain. So this is like a shield. All right. So yeah, welcome to Bible study once again. So uh, in the past couple of weeks, we've been seeing and studying around um, the attitudes to become, which the Bible calls the Beatitude. In some Bibles, it's written as the Beatitudes. But then the minister that introduced the uh, topic to us called the topic Attitudes to Become, which brings it more, makes it more relatable, makes it, brings it more to life. Because you, what's Beatitudes? But then when he said Attitudes to Become, you know, oh, okay, these are the attitudes that we are you know, meant to become. All right, so I want someone to quickly remind me of the ones that we have, you know, treated. It's Bible study. It's a time to learn. So we are all students of the word in the house of God. So we should bring to our remembrance what we have learned. So we have talked, I think we have talked about about three, three attitudes to become now. Oh, yeah. Choir members. Shine, 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 shine. <laughs> what? Humility, oh, that was the last one we treated. Blessed are those who are humble for what? For the shall inherit the earth. Okay. The other two that we treated. Poverty of the spirit. Now, I wanted to say the way it is written in the scriptures. Blessed are those who are poor in the spirit. For what? For the earth is the kingdom of God. Okay, what's the second one? Okay, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5. It is important that we don't just come, you know, to listen to these words alone. It is expected that we keep them to art. And when we keep them to art, it helps us to push them to practice. And it is in the practice of this word that we are tremendously blessed. So, uh, very quickly, we'll be reading our basic text. Matthew chapter 5. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, I'll be reading from verse, um, from verse 3. Okay, no, from verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, which is also interpreted as the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. So today we'll be moving on to verse 6 that says that blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
I want us to, I want to appreciate that Brother Zacchaeus he has been doing a great job, you know, opening our eyes to see uh, the mind of God concerning these attitudes, you know, to become over the past three weeks. It, ought, it taught us how poverty in the spirit helps us to understand that in ourselves, we are insufficient. It helps us to see our need. It helps us to see our need for God. It helps us to see our need for God. It also helps us to understand how that when we mourn in the spirit, mourning in the spirit is not the same as, you know, regular mourning that you just mourn like people who are not helpless. But then when spiritual people mourn, we mourn with the confidence that there is comfort for us in God. Then he also explained, uh, blessed are the meek, the humble, for they shall inherit the earth, opening us to the fact that it is God that raises those who are humble and God resists the proud. So this evening we'll be moving on to uh, blessed are they which hunger and test after righteousness for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. <laughs> welcome, Pastor. Let's welcome Pastor to uh, Miss Cecily. <laughs> yeah, welcome, sir. <laughs> It's so good to have pastor again in the house. And, you know, it's something that when somebody who has taught you, you know, the word, fed you with the word, and then you are also able to give back and be a blessing to the house. What a blessedness. Thank you very much, sir, for your labor of love over the house. God reward you tremendously in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So um, I want media to give me uh, Matthew 5, 6 in the Amplified Classic Version. The Amplified Classic Version. Please, media, if you have that um, Okay, he said, blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in the state in which the born-again child of God enjoys his favor and salvation are those who hunger and test for righteousness, also interpreted as uprightness and right standing with God, for they shall be completely satisfied. Blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in that state, describing what the blessedness means, the state in which the born-again child of God enjoys the favor of God and salvation are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, also uprightness and right standing with God, for they shall be completely satisfied. You know, many, um, we have all tried to define what righteousness means in our own terms. What does it mean to be righteous? Does it mean that you do good and you don't do bad? Does it mean that you don't sin? Does it mean that you fulfill the Ten Commandments? Does it mean that, um, I mean, different kind of things. But then there's a way the Bible describes what righteousness means in the light of the Word of God, what righteousness means in the sight of of God, which brings me to, uh, we'll be reading 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, and the bit to define what righteousness means in the sight of God. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. Okay, scripture says that, okay, let me read from verse 20. It says, and now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray, you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteous of God in him. That we might be made righteous of God in him. Uh, the first verse that we read in Matthew 5 and verse 6 in the Amplified Classic Version defined righteousness as having a right 
standing with God, as, as being upright and having a right standing with God. So what does it mean to have a right standing with God? Bible says that he made Christ to be seen, who knew no sin, that we may be made righteous of God in him. That means, tells me that really there is no righteousness in God outside Christ, that if we remove the works of Christ, we really cannot say that we are in right standing with God. That means that for us to actually be in right standing with God, we have to come from the place of the finished work of Christ. That the only righteousness that God sees is that which was fulfilled in Christ. And anyone that would be declared righteous, that anyone that would be declared as right standing with God must be someone who has first accepted the finished work, the works that Christ has completed, who has first accepted the righteousness of, of Christ in God. So that's why the Bible says that he made him sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I want us to read um, some scriptures. Uh, very quickly, I want us to read Titus chapter 3 from verse 3 to 7. Titus 3 from verse 3 to 7. All right, scripture says that for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So according to this scripture, what actually justifies us? I want an answer. What actually justifies us? Grace that we obtain how? Okay. We just read the scripture together. It says that by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That means that if you have not been washed, if you have not been washed by the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost that comes through Christ Jesus, you have not been justified in the sight of God. Am I right? Yes or no? Yes. So it's them is that righteousness in the sight of God is not something that is uh, is not something that is done by the effort of man. It's not something that man tries to do by himself to please God. That oh, let me. I don't want to sin. I don't want to. I know it's part of it that you don't want to fall short of the glory of God. But then it comes. The one that is acceptable in the sight of God is one that comes when you come through Christ. It's one that comes when you come through Christ. Not that you are trying to please God by yourself. Not that you are trying to please God by yourself. Also, very quickly, I want us to read um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. Uh, okay, sorry. I think I got that wrong. Uh, no, no, no. Okay, what I was trying to establish is that the only righteousness that is recognized in the sight of God is the righteousness that comes by Christ. So God's righteousness, in a sense, is an effective 
work of God in us through Christ. Just like the scripture says in Philippians that it is the Holy Spirit that works in us both to do and to, both to will and to do the good pleasures of God. And we all know that the Holy Spirit does not come to a man that has not accepted Christ. So it is when you have accepted Christ that the Holy Spirit comes and is indwelling in you, then God is able to walk out his will. God is able to walk out his will through you. So it is only through Christ that a man has right standing with God. So that being established, what then does it mean to hunger and to test after righteousness? What then does it mean to hunger and to test after righteousness? I want us to see uh, something in the life of the psalmist David in Psalm 42. Psalm 42. He sang a psalm there unto the Lord that um, very much captures what hunger means for God. Psalms 42. Psalm 42. Okay, it says that as the heart panted after the water brooks, so panted my soul after the O God. My soul tested for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been meet day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why hast thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, and I, shall pr- and I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cut down within me. Therefore will I remember thee in the land of Jordan. Deep call it unto deep, as the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yes, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto the God my rock, why hast thou forsaken me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me. Why they say daily unto me, where is thy God? My, why hast thou cast down, O my soul? And, my, and why hast thou disquieted in me? Hope in thou, for I shall yet praise him. Who is the health of my countenance, my God? And the one I want us to dwell much on is that verse 1 and 2, saying that as the heart pants after the water brooks, so does my, my heart pants after God. So does my heart pants after God. Bringing that to the contemporaries, we've all seen videos of, you know, people who do drugs, people who do alcohol, you know, the way they are when they've not taken that in, it's like their life wants to be taken away from them until they get to take that in. That's exactly what the psalmist was trying to describe in this place, that the way the heart pants after the water. Pastor has tried to describe, you know, what the, deer, the way the deer pants after the water. is an animal that so much likes water and then it's always out there looking for water. So the way the heart pants after the water brooks, the way... The people that do drugs are not comfortable until they have that drug in their system. The way they are not comfortable until they, they take that alcohol, the way they are not comfortable until they take that codeine diet or whatever it is that they call it. It says, so my heart pants after God. So my heart pants after God. We've established that the righteousness of God is in Jesus. So testing after righteousness in the sight of God is testing after satisfaction that comes from Christ alone. Satisfaction that comes from having Christ and having him alone. Understanding that it is only in Christ that you have fulfillment. Understanding that it is only in Christ that you are complete. Understanding that it is only in Christ 
that your yearnings, that your emptiness can be filled, that your emptiness can be filled. So what are the signs that a man actually hungers and tests after righteousness? I said, number one, he yearns continuously for the presence of God. Yearns continuously for the presence of God. Let's quickly read Psalm 63 and verse 1. Psalm 63 and verse 1. I'll read very quickly. Psalm 63 and verse 1. It says that, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul tested for thee. My flesh longed for thee. In a dry land, testy land, where there is no water. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus I will bless thee while I am alive. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. All because the man is a man that finds contentment in the presence of God, finds contentment, finds contentment in the presence of God. So a man that hungers and tests after righteousness is a man that solely wants to continuously enjoy the presence of God. You are not one that gets bored in church. So a sign that a man is, you know, getting filled with junks is when you start getting bored in church. The word of God starts getting boring to you. When they talk about things of God, you are not so much interested. Then there is lukewarmness gradually crawling in into your heart. Lukewarmness gradually crawling in into your heart. So this is some, somewhat like, you know, a heart check also for us to see is our heart still in the rightful place that God wants it to be with him? So I said, a man that hungers and tests after righteousness, yearns continuously for the presence of God. Also, very quickly, I want us to read uh, Psalm 37 and verse 4. David was a man that was, you know, so much given to, so much given to yearning after God, so much given to yearning after God, much so that God describes him as the, a man after his own heart. Psalm 37 and verse 4. The Bible says that delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. It says that commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust him, and he shall bring to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who, who bringeth wicked, wicked devices to pass. He said, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and it shall give you the desires of the heart. So it is in desiring yourself in the Lord, truly, that you actually find fulfillment. That's why it says that blessed, blessed are those who hunger and test after righteousness, because they will be satisfied. Lastly, I want us to read um, Jeremiah 29 and verse 13, just to buttress that point. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13. Alright, scripture says that, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search me with your heart. 
and I will be found of you, said the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations, and from all the places whither I have driven you, said the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place when I have caused you to be carried away captive. Seek me, and you will find me when you shall seek me with the whole of your heart. Okay, a man that hungers and tests after righteousness is a man that continually yearns for the presence of God. Secondly, I say that a man that yearns and hungers and tests after righteousness is a man that tests for the word of God. Is a man that tests for the word of God. Job 23 and verse 12, Job says that he has exalted the word of God more than his necessary food. It says that, okay, sorry, give us Job chapter 23 and verse 12. Job 23 and verse 12. Job 23 and verse 12, please. Okay, scripture says that uh, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed his, the word of his mouth more than, his necessary, more than my necessary food. Even scripture says that, you know, God said that he has exalted his word more than his name. He has exalted his word more than his name. So how do you know a man that yearns and tests after God is a man who... Whatever is important to God is also important to him as much that it is important to God. So if God himself can say that he has exalted his word above his name, then a man that pants and yearns and chests after God is a man who is given to the word of God. Because we know that it is in the word of God that we actually know his will. It is in the word that we know what is God's instruction for us per time? Don't forget I said that righteousness means that you have a right standing with God. You can't have a right standing with God after outside the will of God. You can't. You can't have a right standing with God outside the will of God. So a man that pants and tests after righteousness wants to know, okay, what is the will of God concerning this situation? What is the will of God concerning my life? I don't want to hear. I don't want to walk outside whatever it is the will of God for me. So he's a man that searches the scriptures for whatever it is that is the mind of God concerning him. He's a man that searches the scripture for, for the, whatever it is that is the mind of God concerning him. So if you yearn and test after righteousness, you are a man that is given to the word of God. All right, so also I said that a man that pants and chests after God is a man that possesses an active spiritual longing. An active spiritual longing, not somebody who is carnal, not somebody who is given to the things of the flesh, not somebody who is given to, you know, their own fleshly lust and their own fleshly, you know, pleasures. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3 to 7 that we read, Scripture describes what we wear before we obtain the righteousness of God, which is in Christ. How that we have been given to our own lust. How that we have been given to our own desires. How that we have, you know, found goodness in, the, in our own sight that is filthiness before God. But when the righteousness of Christ came, please let's read that Scripture again. In Titus 3, verse 3 to 7, there was a change. There was a change when the righteousness of God came. Titus chapter 3 verse 3. So it says that for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Verse 4 please. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared. Verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, 
But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Verse 6, it says that which is shed on us abundantly through Christ our Savior. Verse 7, that being justified by his grace, we should be made, yes, according to the hope of eternal life. So there was a life that we are coming from. There was a life that we are coming from before we were made justified, before we were made righteous, before God by Christ. So God expects that whatever it is that is identified with the kingdom that uh, calls people justified by Christ is what should be identified with us. We shouldn't, you know, the works of the flesh should not be numbered amongst us anymore. That's why in, um, Apostle Paul in his letters to the churches will always tell them that there should be a distinction between light and darkness, that there are people that do works of darkness and you should come out and be separate from them. If we, walk, if we profess that we live in the spirit, then let us also walk by the spirit, you know, Telling them that it is important that you do not just mention that you have Christ, but then we must see the work of the workings of the Spirit in you. Bringing me back to Philippians where he says that it is God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasures. So if we proclaim that we have Christ and we have the Holy Spirit in us, then we must see the workings of the Holy Spirit. We must see the workings of the Holy Spirit in us. We must see the workings of the Holy Spirit in us. So... It is only one category of people that are, you know, hungry, really. People who are alive. People who have life. People who are dead don't know what hunger feels like. People who are sick, well, might know a bit of what hunger looks like, but then they've lost appetite. You know, when you're sick, you really don't have appetite to eat. You really don't, don't have appetite for anything. So two categories of people that really don't feel hunger are people who are dead or people who are sick. So when you identify that you no longer find pleasure in the presence of God, you no longer find pleasure in reading the word of God, you no longer find pleasure in doing, you know, things that are categorized as spiritual, you know, exercises, it's either you are sick or you are dead in the spirit. It's either you are sick or you are dead in the spirit. Because there's no way you will be alive in the spirit. And there will be no nudging in you to want to do the things of God. Very quickly, I want us to read First uh, John chapter 3. I will read from verse 8 and 9. First John chapter 3. I will read from verse 8 and 9. First John Okay, it says that, um, okay, I will read from verse, um, verse 6. It says that whoever abideth in him, sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteous is righteous, even as he is righteous. Verse 8 says that he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9 says that whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Verse 10 now says that in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not, does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So there is no point in saying, oh, I have Christ, but I can live the way I want to live. There's no point in saying I have Christ and whatever it is that I do does not matter. 
there is a righteousness that is of God, and God expects us to be at work in us. To, for, God expects us to, how do I say it now, to work it out. That is why it says that we should work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Not that we should work for our salvation, but he has saved us from something into something. That was what we read in uh, Titus 3. And if he has saved us from something, we shouldn't be going back to that which he has saved us from, but rather we should walk in the light of the salvation and the righteousness that Christ has obtained for us, that Christ has obtained for us. So as, like I said earlier, it's also a moment for reflection, saying that have you lost taste for the things of God? Have you suddenly realized that you lost, you know, you lost desire to do the things of God? When they call for evangelism, you know, you always have one excuse or the other. Also, another sign that you test and pant after righteousness is that you are always willing to share the goodness of God with others. You know, when they call for evangelism, you are always delighted to share that which is the goodness of God to other people. So when you, you suddenly find out that, oh, it is the time they call for evangelism, that something, there's always one excuse for you not to come and share the goodness of God with others. Then it's either you are sick or you are dead spiritually. But then it is the desire of God that we are alive spiritually. That's why the psalmist cried out. He says that, awaken me from my slumber so that I do, not, I do not sleep the sleep of death. Because it is only in the presence of God that we have life. It is only in the presence of God that we have life. So how then, how then do we awaken from slumber and be on fire for God such that we are continuously panting and testing after God? Such that we are continually panting and testing after God. I've put down here um, a few points. <laughs> Sorry, don't mind my paper. I just had to write down in a rush. So how then do you stay hungry for God? Read your Bible, number one. Read your Bible. First Peter 2 and verse 2 is a scripture that I so much love. First Peter 2 and verse 2. First Peter 2 and verse 2. Uh, media, please project for us. First Peter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says that um, we should, okay, as newborn babes, okay, let me start from verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malices and all guy and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babies, desire the sincere milk of the word that she may grow thereby. If so, be ye have tasted, the Lord is gracious. What I want to point out is that you should desire the sincere milk of the word of God. It says that that is how you grow. And what does it mean to grow? Growth means that uh, you are no, continuously, you are no, not the version of yourself that you were when you gave your life to Christ. It means that as you continually expose yourself to the word of God, as you continually expose yourself to, to the word of God, the word of God, that's why the Bible says that we become what we behold. As we behold, you know, the word of God, we become the very express image of what we behold. So if we say that we, pant, we want to pant and test after God, it is important that we know the God that we are testing and panting after. That is why it is important for us to read our Bible. I put it that you cannot learn the ways of God without knowing the word of God. You can't learn the ways of God without knowing the word of God. The more you know him in his word, the more you want to know him. You know, we've had um, several scriptures, I think Pastor Otto have said it, that the way God satisfies our hunger is by giving us 
you know, more hunger for him. Not that, oh, you've, you know, you are filled and then you, you feel like, oh, that is all that there is to know about God or that is all that there is to be filled up about God. But then that, the Bible also says that pain filled. So we are expected to be continually filled. That is why you will always be hungry. The more you know God, the more you want to know him. The psalmist says that, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. You can't taste God and then you say that, oh, that is, that is all I want to taste. You want to taste more of him every time. You want to know more about him every time. You want to know what it is. Has God ever spoken to you before? When God speaks to you, you want to always hear his voice. You want to always hear his voice. The psalmist says that, oh, no, I think it's in Isaiah 52. It says that he wakens my ear morning by morning. He wakens me to hear as the learned. He wakens me to hear as the learned. When you hear the voice of God, the, the voice of God is so you know, it's so sweet that you want to hear it again and again. You want to hear it again and again. Also, you also know that there is guidance in the word of God. If God has ever guided you before, you want to always be continually guided by him. And it is only, only found in the word of God. Only found in the word of God. So to stay hungry for God, you must be a man that is giving to his word. That is giving to his word. You, I, I don't know if you have reading, read your Bible from Genesis to Revelations 13 times. There is always more to discover in God. There is always more to find out in God. God is a well that can never run dry. It's a well that can never run dry. That's why, uh, you know, uh, was it Jesus with this Samaritan woman by the well? He was saying that if you drink of, you know, this um, well, you'll be thirsty again. Even one day the well will be, dry, will be dried up. But then Jesus is a well that never runs dry. So God is, you know, is inexhaustible. Is it exhaustible? The way we see God is beyond our imagination. So there is always more. There is always more. Always more to know about God. Secondly, I put here that to stay hungry for God, you must be a man that is given and devoted to prayer. Very quickly, let's read Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 13. Leviticus 6 and uh, verse 13. Okay, it says that, uh, okay, from, uh, let me read from verse 11. It says that, and he shall put off his garments and put on other garments and carry forth the ashes without the camp unto a clean place. And the fire, excuse me, upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall not burn wood, or, shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in other upon it. It shall burn thereon the fat of the peace of, 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 of the peace offering. The fire shall, nev- shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. The, al- the fire on your prayer altar should never go out. Should never go out. I know many a times one of the reasons why, you know, sometimes we shy away from the place of prayer. And it happens to every one of us. It's not peculiar to you. Sometimes because you've not prayed, you know, for a while or you missed your prayer time, you feel that, oh, how, how do I go back to God? But one thing you forget is that God is always waiting to embrace you again in his arms. He's always waiting to embrace you again in his arms. The Bible says that uh, he has engraven you 
upon the palms of his hand, and your walls are continually before him. So every time that God looks at his palms, it's like he's seeing you, he has tattooed you on the palms of his hand. So you are never missing to God, you are never lost to God. So if you are in that position where you feel that, oh, because you have not prayed for long, then God has forsaken you. Because you have not been in the presence of God for long, then God does not desire to hear your voice again. No, I've come here this evening to tell you that no, God is always waiting to embrace you. He's always waiting to embrace you. So you start, you start at one point, just start, just start from anywhere. Sometimes I find myself when I've not prayed for some time and I'm, I'm like, okay, how do I go back? But then I just start and then I just find my place and myself crying in the presence of God saying, oh, I didn't know that God loved me this much. I didn't know that God has been waiting to embrace me for so long. You just discover that God has been waiting to embrace you for so long. It's the lie of the devil that tells you that because you have been away from the presence of God for so long, he has forsaken you and he does not want to see you in his presence. So for you to continually test and pant after God such that that test is always there. For you to want to know God more, you must be giving continuously to prayer. You must be giving continuously to prayer. That is why uh, Jude one twenty told us that we edify our spirit man you beloved, building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You know, Apostle Paul was also telling Timothy, somewhere in Timothy, he says that, but you fan to flames the spiritual gift that has been given to you by the laying of the hands. So how do you fan to flames the spiritual gift? And you don't let go of God in the place of prayer. Don't let go of God in the place of prayer. And also do that by the help of the Holy Spirit. Do that by the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, lastly, how do you continually test and pant after God? Seek for encounters with God. Seek for encounters with God. You know, I quoted a scripture. It says that taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusted in him. If you have ever had an encounter with God before, you would always desire to have an encounter with him always. This, I mean, I'm talking about encounter in the sense, I'm not talking about something that will always be spectacular. Encounters with God are not, you know, always something that are spectacular, but they are supernatural. They are supernatural. They are traceable to the spirit alone. You can't explain them by, you know, your understanding. You can't explain them by being done by a man or by being done by the flesh. It is something supernatural but not always spectacular. So when you taste God, when you taste God, you would always want to taste him more. You always want to taste. That's why scripture says that the kingdom of God is not in talks, but in, in, in power. And we should not be Christians that, you know, have just, um, how did the Bible describe it now? It says that we have a form of godliness, but then we deny the power, the very source of that godliness. The very source of our godliness in God it's the power that is generated by the Holy Spirit. So if the power of the Holy Ghost is taken away, there's nothing more. There's nothing more. There's nothing more. So we should desire, desire to see the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit in, at work in our lives. So I'm always asking questions. Like, I'm always asking questions. If the Bible truly says that the Holy Spirit is in me, then I want to see the power of God at work in me. You know, there was a point where I was, you know, trying to, you know, when we were taught about when you lay on your hands on the sick, they will recover. I said, okay, God starts with me. Heal me first. When God heals me, then I'm more than convinced that what the pastor is saying. The Bible comes alive in me, and then I'm more than convinced because I have an encounter that shows me that God actually heals. Then it gives me the boldness and the confidence to walk up to someone and say, yes, God can heal you. I can lay my hands on the sick with that confidence that God will heal you. But then, 
greater than, okay, I want to be careful, that you haven't had an encounter in one area does not nullify the fact that God is able in such area. So don't be of the opinion that, oh, because God has not done that in your life, God is not able to do it. What you should desire is that God also does it in your life so that you have such encounter with God. So for me, I always yearn for the manifest power of God in my life. Not always, you know, spectacular, like I said, but spiritual. Like, I remembered when God healed me of ulcer. Like, I always give that testimony. I can't remember the last time I felt ulcer in my life. And it was not because I took some drugs or took anything. But God just healed me. And I cannot feel it again. I can never feel it again. I remember the first time I spoke in tongues. It was an encounter for me. It was an expression of the power of God in my life. And then I'm able to testify to someone that, yes, I believe that when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you are able to speak in other tongues. I remember the first time that I laid my hands on someone and then, you know, they began to speak in other tongues. Not because I conjured them to start speaking whatever it is that they did not understand, but because I saw that the Holy, Holy Spirit took over and they began to speak in other tongues. So I yearn for encounters like that with God. Yearn for encounters. Not always spectacular, like I said, but spiritual. Spiritual in the sense that you cannot, it's, it's not traceable to the arm of flesh. It is not traceable to any man, but traceable only to the Spirit of God. Traceable only to the Spirit of God. Traceable only to the Spirit of God. So it is important that we always test, that we always test, that we always test and pant after God. That we always test and pant after God. We should not come to a place where we plateau and we feel like, oh, yeah, I've come to the crescendo. Like this is the height. Even Apostle Paul, with all that he knows, he said that I'm still pressing forward. I'm still pressing forward because I know that there is still more to know in God. There is still a depth in God that I am yet to reach. There's no, there's no how much you know about God that someone does not know more than you. And as much that they know more than you, they have not yet known all that there is to be known about God. That is why the scripture says that we know in part. It is only when we see him that we understand fully and we become like him. So there is always more. There is always more. There is always more to, to know in God. So I, I said uh, in saying that how do we sustain our hunger and test for God that we should be given to the word of God. One, we should be given to prayer. Two, and then three, we should always desire encounters with God. We should always desire encounters with God. We should always desire en encounters with God. Okay, so very quickly, I want us to read um, just a few scriptures. I'm, I'm closing now. I won't keep us for, for so long. All right, I want us to read um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Okay. It says that, and that ye put on a new man, which is after God, create, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Verse 25, please. Wherefore, putting away lines, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your heart. Verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. Verse 28. Let him that... Okay, sorry. So that's verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. It says that, but... Sorry, give me verse 24 again. Verse 25, I don't want to misquote that. It says that, and put ye on the new man, which is after God, which after God is created in righteousness and in true holiness. 
And we've learned today that after God in righteousness and true holiness is only fulfilled in Christ. Only fulfilled in Christ. So if you are here, the starting point for you, if you have not even experienced Christ at all, is that you come to Christ himself first. Come to Christ himself first. So it is when you come to Christ that, okay, yeah, God now sees you at, as right standing with him. And then these other things that I've talked about this night, you can begin to practice them to sustain that hunger and thirst after God. Such that the presence of God, you know, is your delight. Such that the presence of God means much to you. That's why I love the song when we sing very much that says that, um, as the deer pants after the water blue, as the deer pants, as the deer longed for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone at my heart, desire and I long to worship you. It says, you strength, my shield, to you alone, may my spirit yield, you alone at my heart, desire and my to worship you. The second verse is, you're my God. And you are a brother, even though you are a king. I love you more than any other, so much more than anything. For you alone are my strength, my shield. To you, oh Lord, may my spirit you, oh Lord, at my heart, desire and I long to worship you. Amen. So that's <laughs> that's all from that the Lord has laid in my heart to say to us tonight. I just want us to bow our heads and just do a quick heart check in us and uh, examine where we are currently with God and ask that God searches us. The psalmist says, God, search me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of righteousness. Lead me in the way of understanding. Lead me in the way of your heart. Help me that my desire for you will not wax cold. Help me that my desire for you will not come and bring me to a place of lukewarmness. Help me that I'm always testing and hungering for you. Help me that I'm always testing and being hungered for your word. Help me that I am not lukewarm. Help me, help me, Jesus. Help me in the area of my weaknesses. The Bible says that it is in my weakness that your strength is made perfect. Help me in the areas that I'm getting weak. And please make your strength perfect in me. Strengthen me in my inner man by your Holy Spirit. Help me that I might fan to flames the gifts of the Holy Spirit in me. Help me that the fire on my altar never runs dry. Help me that I might continually hunger 
and test after you. So precious Jesus, we bless your name for yet again your word that has come to us. Scripture says that your word, they are life. They are held unto our flesh. Thank you for feeding us yet again with food that is convenient for us. We thank you because we know that much more than we have heard tonight, your spirit will breathe upon these words in our hearts and cause them to bring more forth much, much, much fruit, such that these words, we do not just hear them and keep them at the back of our memories, but they go forth to fulfill that which God has purposed, even how that we might continually hunger and test after God, that our lives will be such that daily as we live and as often as we breathe, our very essence, our very being will be lived to give glory to the name of God alone. Father, we glorify your name, for in Jesus' precious name we've prayed. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's perfect.